Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, it's Labor Day, a day of labor, so me and Rita, we're back to work. We're here in the studio, and we also have Ed Cox, the uh, head of the New York State uh, Republican National uh, uh, the state whatever, committee, state yes, committee. on the national committee. Yes, exactly. not the national committee. And, and former Congressman Peter King, and with us right now is the former Vice President of the United States of America, Mike Pence. He's in New Hampshire. Uh, Mr. Vice President, good to have you on. John Katsimatidis, thanks for having me on Cats and Cosby. What a great crew. Happy Labor Day to you all. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, how is New Hampshire? Is it is, is it is it as hot as New York? <laughs> it's pretty balmy up here, and the politics is heating up too, John. I mean, it's it's getting to be a lot of fun. We've got a we've got a, a great a Republican primary that's just getting started. You know, I'm kind of I'm old school. I've always thought that campaigns really begin after Labor Day weekend, and uh, I have to tell you whether it's here in New Hampshire or where I spent time in Iowa last week and all summer long. I'm, I'm more convinced than ever that Republicans are going to rally around to make sure that Joe Biden is never reelected as president of the United States and we get this economy working for every working American. You know, it's Labor Day. I mean, we're looking at, uh, we're looking at mortgages at a 22-year high. Two out of three Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Inflation over the last two and a half years, 16.6%. Uh, we all know how to get this economy moving again, to get people working again. It's not Bidenomics. It's what we did during the Trump Pence years, and I'm fighting to bring that agenda forward and fighting to lead our party in 2024. Now, is New Hampshire going to be the Ed first Cox. primary in the nation, despite all the attempts by the Democrats to do otherwise? Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to believe. You better believe it. You talk to anybody here in the Granite State, they say we're going to be first in the nation just as they've always been. But I have to tell you, uh, Ed, I, it is astonishing to me to think that Joe Biden and the Democrats are going to skip over New Hampshire. They're planning on skipping over the caucus in Iowa. And uh, and, and I got to tell you, I, I, I think that's advantage us because it's in these it's in these early states, as you all know, that uh, that we've shaped national leadership fitted to the times. You know, I, I think the American people know that uh, Joe Biden and his policies have weakened our country at home and abroad. And I think by just by just casting aside the vetting process here in New Hampshire and in other early states, uh, I, I think tells you all you need to know about about which party is ready to reconnect with the with the priorities and the goals of the American people. And that's the Republican Party. Mr. Vice President King. Yes. Mike, great to talk to you, Mr. Vice President. Always great to hear your voice. Uh, I was just hey, going to. How you been? 
Great. What have you been up to, anyway? No, seriously, I was going to ask you one, one question. <laughs> you know, uh, getting yeah. to details. I had never heard of aliases being used. Was that ever a common practice at all in the executive or, you know, for any intelligence reason? The fact that Joe Biden has had 5,000 emails with different aliases? It's news to me. Of course, I, uh, as vice president of the United States, I didn't have an email. I mean, you know, I, I, I scarcely need to tell you, Pete King, you know, you're one of the leading experts on intelligence in the country. You, you know, you, you uh, led on those issues in your years in Congress. You know, my view is that the, the Internet is never completely safe. And so I, I literally never used email when I was vice president. So this idea uh, of multiple, you know, uh, emails uh, with pseudonyms uh, for Joe Biden over the years, I, I was just taken aback by that. But it's just kind of one more example of uh, of everything that's swirling around this administration. They're under an ethical cloud now with everything happening around Hunter Biden. You know, I greatly welcome the fact that that judge threw out that sweetheart deal uh, for Hunter Biden. I thought it was a it was a small down payment on restoring public confidence in equal treatment under the law. But what it's going to take is a new Republican president. And I, I promise you, if, if I'm that president, we're going to clean house on the top floor of the Justice Department and, and staff the entire floor with men and women committed, committed to restoring public confidence and equal treatment of the law. I uh, don't need me to say this, but I've never met a more honest guy in government than you, and I just say that 100%. I agree. Oh, thanks, Absolutely. Absolutely. We agree. This is uh, Rita Cosby, of course, Mr. Vice President. Great to talk with you. I know that, boy. Hi, Rita. Happy Labor Day. Oh, happy Labor Day to you, my friend. I wanted to ask you, too, because the next debate is going to be at the Reagan National Library, as you know. I I know it's Fox Business and Univision. Um, so huge focus, of course, is going to be on border and migrants. We are dealing with such a huge migrant crisis um, in New York. Every town uh, literally right now across the country right. seems like a border town. What would you do to secure the border? And what do you say to the folks, too, especially right now? New York is busting at the seams. And there are so many people who are concerned about some of these migrant shelters popping up, in one case, 20 feet away from a grammar school. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And I, you know what? I got to do a hat tip to the mayor of New York who's been willing to call out President Joe Biden and his administration for their absolute failure to secure the southern border of the United States. Uh, but, you know, New York is not alone. Every major city in the country is is busting at the seams, as you said, Rita, with this avalanche of millions of people that have been let to come into our country. What you do is you do what we did before. Number one, of course, you finish the wall, which I'd do if I became president. But also, Rita, I negotiated what came to be known as the Remain in Mexico policy that ended illegal immigration and asylum abuse almost overnight. It reduced it reduced illegal immigration and abuse by 90 percent uh, before that pandemic hit. Then we added Title 42 to that that allowed us uh, to essentially – you know, send people back over the border immediately. And Joe Biden comes in, he stops construct incoherently, stops construction of the wall. Contracts had already been let. Everybody's building out. You can go down there now and see and see, you know, literally miles of girders laying on their side, rusting in the sun, because for some reason he shut down the border wall. But then he worked to undo remain in Mexico, undo Title 42. You put all those things into effect. Uh, you will secure the southern border of the United States. I promise I'll do it if I become president of the United States. We'll put it back into effect on day one. Now, uh, uh, 
Uh, Mr. Vice President, uh, the Republican National Committee hey, has John. been has been uh, uh, crying out that they haven't been raising a lot, uh, enough money uh, because the Republicans don't know which way uh, things are going. Uh, at what point do you think uh, that uh, uh, Republicans will be able to sort things out? Well, look, I, I really do believe that uh, Republican primary voters uh, are, uh, are, are going to give us leadership fitted to the times. And, you know, John, you and I are friends. I, I, everybody in that room does. I don't think anybody could have beaten Hillary Clinton in 2016 other than Donald Trump. Republican primary voters chose the right standard bearer at the right time. I was proud to run with him and proud to do my part to help bring us to victory. But I think different times call for different leadership. And I got to tell you, I just left, uh, I just left a, uh, a great cookout in, in Salem. We're, we're on our way to our friend Scott Brown's house for a, a backyard. He calls it a no BS barbecue. I haven't looked up what that acronym stands for. <laughs> Don't say it on radio. You're a radio guy. <laughs> yeah, but he's, uh, <laughs> I got to tell you, everywhere I go, I have people coming up to him and saying, thanks for running. And I, I honestly think with the, with the Labor Day weekend, uh, the starting gun has been fired. I think you're going to see Republican primary voters look at all the candidates, those of us that were on the stage and the one that wasn't on the stage, uh, and I'm confident they're going to give us the right leadership uh, to lead our party, not just to victory, but lead our country back. And I'm going to work my heart out to make sure it's me. Mr. Vice President, we got one minute left. What would you like to tell yeah. the American people on Labor Day? I'd just like to say, you know, in all my years, in Congress, as a governor in Indiana and as vice president of the United States, you know, my uh, my opinion of their federal government has gone down, but my opinion of the American people has gone up every single day. I mean, what I've seen of the American people, what I've seen of those in uniform, in law enforcement, what I've seen of hardworking Americans, the American people are, are the most faith-filled, freedom-loving, innovative, generous people the world has ever known. We just need government as good as our people. And on this Labor Day, I promise you and all your listeners, I'm going to work my heart out to give us that in 2024. Mr. Vice President, thank you for calling in this Labor Day. God bless you and God bless America. We need God's help. And um, thank you for working very hard towards it. Thank you. Good luck, Mike. Thank hey, you. Thanks, everybody. Great to be all on best. Captain Cosby. Yeah, thank good you. luck. Good, good luck. luck. Thank you. And now uh, I understand we have Vito Fasella calling in from yep. uh, Staten Island. Staten Island, the, yep. great, the great island of Staten Island. The great island of Staten Island. And uh, Vito, I'm sure you I, are probably I listening. I just follow the vice president. I know. I was going to say, as we're talking about uh, migrants and everything there going on, I brought up the school in your area there, Vito, well, Vito's too. a president. Pence is only a vice president. Oh, that's president. true. Yeah. Now we have the president, president. right. We have vice president and president right. within just a few <laughs> seconds span there, Pete. Good point. Well, it's great to be with you all. Happy Labor Day. and very nice and honored to follow up on uh, uh, Mike Pence. He's a very good guy, as, uh, as we all know. Well, and you just heard Vito, too, uh, obviously the issue of migration um, and obviously what's happening to our country. What's the latest? I know you guys are planning another uh, big protest tomorrow night there right at that school. Talk about what's going on in Staten Island. Well, the, the crisis continues, and there will be a rally tomorrow night, as we've said for weeks now, that the people of Staten Island are going to continue to stand united and stay strong and try to prevent this uh, shelter from remaining open, in large part because of its proximity to a school, an all-girls' Catholic school, uh, in the heart of a residential neighborhood. And, and you just ask that fundamental question. If you had a 15- or 16-year-old daughter, would you want her right across the street from a, a shelter 
I think the answer is no. So we're going to continue to stand strong. We we have a hearing in our our lawsuit, which should be September 14th. We're hopeful that we're successful there, and we're going to continue to to resi- you know highlight the problems. As Mike Pence said, I heard a little bit of what he said at the end. This goes back to a wide open federal border, and now it's coming to a neighborhood near you, and we're suffering, and we're forced to solve a problem that we didn't uh, start. And we're just not going to roll over and play dead. We're going to stand up and try to say that this is not right, that this policy has to end. It's unsustainable. And we're committed to help the people of Staten Island and Aracar and the parents of St. Joseph Hill Academy, which is that school we mentioned. Uh, so that's where we stand. And then we're going to stand as strong as we can. Vito, Vito you, you, you've got uh, additional big problem here in New York City, and that's the right to shelter settlement that happened years ago and has now been extended to migrants who are pouring into the city. And the attorney general doesn't want to challenge it. The city's not challenging it. Why doesn't someone do something about it? Uh, The answer is I don't know. We've been, again, banging that drum for months. It's a right to shelter decree, Ed, as you, you highlight. It's not a law. People say it's in the New York State Constitution. It's not. That right to shelter consent decree needs to be challenged, modified, fixed, clarified, whatever it is, because what individuals who support it say is if a million people showed up in New York City tomorrow, New York City would have an obligation to house them, accommodate them, feed them, and everything else. And I think anybody with a half a brain would say that's completely insane, and anybody of significance should should challenge it. We've called upon the state legislature to convene a special session of the legislature to address this issue. And even if it requires a constitutional amendment to clarify once and for all, it needs to be done. And the other matter that's with school, uh, you know, coming up, opening day of school, what we've highlighted is that children, uh, migrant children, do not have to show complete immunization or vaccination. Right. That way, I was just about to ask you about that, Vito, because that's true. They don't have to get vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, which crazy. is horrible. And, and we got to talk more about it tomorrow because school is coming up soon. Uh, Vito, you also, <laughs> I heard you had a press conference today. You settled the, uh, the ferry strike or the almost, almost ferry strike. Yeah, the, the yeah, ferry workers. Uh, no, the Staten Island Ferry, as many know, is iconic throughout the world, but it's especially significant for the people of Staten Island. It's a lifeline for many commuters, tourists, and what has happened over the last 13 years, there wasn't a new contract. So ferry workers never got a raise, never got a bump up, even with high inflation. And other administrations tried it, and I gave full credit. Uh, yeah, we worked behind the scenes trying to, to keep the parties uh, together. But uh, Eric Adams said a few weeks ago that he was going to make it happen. He did it. He followed through on his word. And now, as a result, uh, the ferry issue, labor issues, have been resolved. And what was happening was there was disruption of service. Almost one, one every three days, you'd see uh, nighttime service would be suspended or be two hours or three hours. And that yeah. hurt a lot of people. Congressman so, King, we, don't, we have yeah, to real go to quick. a break. Soon. You time to, uh, what's the status of the lawsuit? September 14th, we will go before a judge in Staten Island to argue on the merits that uh, we seek a preliminary injunction and that the shelter should be shut down and, and shut down. Good luck. Well, thank you, Vito. Yes, we have luck. to go to a break right now. Thank you, Vito Fasello. Thank, thank you for you, protecting Vito. the people of Staten Island. Oh, God bless you. Thank, thank you. you. Let's go to that break. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. 
And welcome back to Cats and Cosby. We are talking now to Gordon Chang. Of course, his Twitter handle is Gordon G. Chang. And big news coming out, Gordon. Here it is. The Chinese nationals have snuck onto sensitive U.S. sites at least a hundred times. Uh, sparking big concerns about them spying. That's a lot of, that's a lot of, uh, interferences there, Gordon Chang. Well, it certainly is, Rita. And really what it says is that the one or two incidents that we had been uh, told about, they were not isolated. Uh, and obviously they're part of a master plan to see and test the security at American bases. You know, China says that it's in a people's war, quote unquote, with the U.S. Well, if so, then these tourists, quote unquote, should be held as prisoners of war. Yeah, you know, you bring up a great point because they were acting as tourists going in there, which is a whole other like it shows that there's been planning. They've been calculating. Why is that? Why? Clearly, the U.S. is downplaying this, which brings big concern. And obviously, spotlight sort of the way Biden has handled China just all along. Look what he did with the spy balloon and everything else, Gordon. Yeah, and that is another pattern that Biden has been doing his best to downplay China's uh, assault on the United States. You know, Biden feels that he needs to have lines of communication with China. Well, you know, Xi Jinping is not going to the G20 in New Delhi over this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. So he, Biden's not going to meet him there. And now Xi Jinping is threatening not to go to the APEC meeting in San Francisco in the middle of November. And if that's the case... Um, Xi Jinping is also not going to sit down with Joe Biden. So this is Biden, I think, um, sort of desperate to talk to China and China not entirely desperate to talk to to Joe Biden. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Um, Ed Cox, you've got a question uh, yeah, for Gordon uh, Chang. Uh, Gordon, uh, doesn't this also indicate that, China, that Xi has internal problems with the economy in China? You wrote a book, The Coming Collapse of, of, of China. Well, has China really peaked now, and are they because of his grasping for power himself and uh, relying on the SOEs and all, uh, the state-owned enterprises? Is the economy really uh, beginning to go in decline, and is that real problems for him? Yeah, the economy is really going into decline, and you raise an important point because a lot of people in, you know, have said – Look, Xi Jinping not going to New Delhi over this weekend is really a snub to India. Well, it could very well be, as you point out, it could be a desire to stay at home because he's worried about internal political developments. There are these rumors that are swirling around China. Um, I'm sure that most of them are false, but they are showing that people are trying to destabilize Xi Jinping. And so, therefore, um, he maybe he's saying, look, I'm just not going to leave China while China is so volatile. And uh, Peter King, you got a question for Gordon Chang. Yeah, Gordon Chang, uh, what is the significance of the recent Camp David agreement involving the U.S., uh, Japan and South Korea? Well, that's a really important question as well. And it's that the region is banding together because they're worried about China. You know, South Korea has often viewed Japan as the enemy, uh, and even more so than uh, North Korea being an adversary to the South Korea. Um, and for the president of South Korea, Yoon Suk-yeol, to sit down with uh, Japan's prime minister is a real indication that uh, China is really scaring Seoul. And that shows that countries are calling the 202 area code for 911 when they realized how, pro- how big the problems are. And how about Australia, the fact that the U.S. is giving submarines to Australia? 
Well, that's a good development. I mean, there are people in the Labour Party, which is now the governing party in um, Australia, that don't like the AUKUS deal, um, and that was in 2021. But I think AUKUS, which involves the UK, the United States, and Australia, is another step forward showing that the region is starting to defend itself and take it seriously, this risk of China. So, uh, Ed Cox here, how important is India and the Quad and part of that with respect to China? Well, India is the one member of the Quad where um, it is not entirely clear where they stand. So, for instance, on the Ukraine war, which is obviously very important for the Biden administration, um, India is much closer to Russia than it is to the United States. But India, though, is, when it comes to China, is very much um, with the U.S. because of those border clashes. And just last week, China issued another one of its maps showing that Arunachal Pradesh, which is a province in the northern part of India, Chinese said it's part of China. And, of course, that did not go down very well in New Delhi. So they realized they need the United States and they need the other three members of the Quad. Yeah. We got a minute left, uh, Gordon. Uh, anything else you want to tell the American people? By the way, the, the one rumor was going around that China told Putin to get rid of Prigozhin. Have you heard anything like that? Yeah, I've heard that. You know, that's entirely possible. Um, we don't know exactly what goes on between Xi Jinping and Putin. But uh, I'm sure the Chinese got very nervous about this whole idea of military officers staging an insurrection. And that has really been, I think, one of the factors that have led Xi Jinping to purge a lot of his senior officers as well. So this is an ongoing process in China. And obviously, uh, Xi Jinping looked at Prigozhin and said, I don't want this in my country. All right. Well, thank you so much, Gordon Chang. John? Yes. Anything uh, with uh, with China complaining about radioactive water from uh, from uh, Japan releasing it? Yeah, um, China has just gone on a bender on this, um, which means they want a foreign enemy um, to rally the Chinese people. I think Xi Jinping has a low threshold of risk, and so he realizes right now that he's better go out and rally the Chinese people because if he doesn't, those people, as Ed Cox pointed out, with the economy. They're not very happy right now, and so Xi Jinping knows that. Thank you, Gordon Chang, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Gordon, you're the best. Thank you. You're the best. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. And obviously lots of talk also about marijuana. You can smell it uh, on every corner in New York. And what was it at the U.S. Open? One of the players said, it smells like Snoop Dogg's living room, and it sure does. I think almost every city, but especially New York. And joining us to talk about all of this is Kevin Sabit. He is the president and CEO of SAM, which stands for Smart Approaches to Marijuana. Um, Kevin, you know, this has been a disaster of late, um, especially the rollout in New York. They started it. They stopped it. Um, it it's been a mess. And, and what's going on with secondhand smoke? It's like they cracked down on secondhand smoke when it comes to cigarettes. And yet marijuana seems like it's a free for all. Yeah, we're living in a surreal time with marijuana. We've rolled out the red carpet for this massive industry, which is doing nobody good but the investors, you know, involved in it. It's, it's big tobacco all over again. You know, today's marijuana is not Woodstock weed. It's much stronger than the past. We have 99% THC strains that are out there with these concentrates. Kids are vaping and carting, as they call it, because cartridges. Um, you know, left and right, astronomical levels. And it's, you know, because we've normalized and commercialized marijuana, it's, it's frankly embarrassing. 
And uh, frankly, other countries are looking at us and, and just they can't believe what we're doing to our you know, young people, to our workers, to people that are the economic engine of this country. So I'm very concerned about it. And I think it was a really dumb move. Ed Cox, go ahead. Uh, y- yes. Uh, th- th- t- tell me about the dangers, not just with respect to drug, but general cigarettes are dangerous for you. Why not smoking marijuana? Exactly. Well, first of all, marijuana has many more carcinogens than cigarettes. That's why secondhand marijuana smoke is actually more harmful than secondhand tobacco smoke. In oh, fact, that's interesting. That's yeah. really oh, yeah. interesting. That's a headline. Yeah, that's very Absolutely. interesting. Absolutely. And there was just there's been study after study on that. And, in, you know, in, in public housing in New York, there was a recent study showing that, you know, little kids growing up in public housing and NYCHA housing, they're smelling marijuana. They're reporting they smell marijuana far more than they do tobacco. And that hurts the kids. It hurts kids, you know, developing brain. Your brain is developing until, until about age 25 or 30. Anything that you do to affect it. And THC binds to receptors in the brain that are responsible for very important things. Judgment, memory, you know, learning, cognition, all of these things that, you know, we need to grow up. And, you know, we know it reduces your IQ. It can reduce it by up to eight points if you're a regular user as a kid and as a young person. That's a very big deal, eight points. So, I just, um, yeah, you know, we're, we're sort of blinded. We, we were promised that the black market would go away. There'd be no more drug dealers. Actually, the underground market has thrived during legalism. It's bigger than ever. Uh, we were promised all this tax revenue. In reality, we're paying for this because of the car crashes, because of the, all the other problems that are coming as a result. So, and, and, you know, the psychosis, the psychosis, the schizophrenia, the suicide now that we're seeing directly related. Marijuana is the number one drug for suicides among young people in Colorado, for example, since they legalized. So I just, um, yeah, I worry about it. And New York is now synonymous with the smell of, of weed. And I, you know, it's just sort of, we got to think about if that's really on brand, if we want that to be our brand. Um, and everybody, we're talking to Kevin Sabet. He I mean, is head of the turning, Smart Approaches to Marijuana. People, we're turning our people to a bunch of uh, dopeheads. Dope yeah, and, and yeah, you know I mean, what? You know what yeah. came out the other day too. I saw that it's like higher lead, or, or like there's there's actual issues oh, in the brain. I mean, this is really scary stuff. And also, this comes Kevin Saba too, where um, the Health and Human Services is trying to lower mm-hmm. marijuana right on a federal level. What's going on? I mean, it seems to be a trend everywhere. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Well, first of all, you're right to, to, to cite that lead study. There was a very big study showing that marijuana users have high levels of lead and cadmium and other very dangerous metals. And that's because people think that if it's legal, it's regulated. They think you know what's in it. Guess what? You don't know what's in it. I, I wrote a book called Smokescreen, What the Marijuana Industry Doesn't Want You to Know. And I did, you know, in-depth look of these labs and these products that people are buying, quote-unquote, legally. It's not regulated. There's so much junk in it that it just could, the study confirms it. And you're right. Uh, HHS did a review. They're saying that we should make it a Schedule three drug, which would put it similar to, like, um, the anabolic steroids or, you know, uh, ketamine. And the reality is DEA has to do their own assessment of it now. It's kind of in the bureaucracy now. Um, I'll tell you, I was very uh, um, disheartened, though, that the HHS secretary, first of all, publicly announced this because it's not a done deal until DOJ looks at it. So it was you know, I've worked in three White House administrations. I, I've worked on this issue very close up. It's very unusual to publicly announce from what agency to, that, that they had, have sent their recommendation to another agency. It shouldn't have been done. Number two. 
they did it on Twitter at 4.20 p.m., which is the 4.20 stoner holiday, you know, 4.20. Oh, that's interesting. Right. that's just disrespectful. I talk to parents all the time who are trying to get their kids into treatment because they're addicted to marijuana. They're addicted to THC. Uh, And I just just found that distasteful, disrespectful, totally unnecessary. So, uh, look, alcohol and driving do not mix, and you can measure when someone – is uh, is uh, impeded by alcohol while they're driving. Right. Can you do that with marijuana? You can measure it, but we don't have a reliable measure. So yes and no. I mean, you can measure it in the blood uh, and and you know by the manograms per milliliter. But the reality is, we don't have a number like a magic point zero eight number at all. It's very difficult to be able to take a marker. That's why I like things that are more behavior-based, you know, what are someone's behavior. But we do know that marijuana doubles your risk of a car crash when you're driving because it messes with your depth perception. It messes with your reaction time. I mean, and anybody who knows anything about marijuana knows that, you know, if how you're about a, on marijuana, How about a crane operator? Reacting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much. Wow. Uh, Dr. Kevin, thank and, you. And uh, we want to have you on again and because we got to make the American people smarter. Absolutely. I think we're going to look back in the past and say kind of what were we thinking. So folks can go to to learnaboutsam.org if they're interested. That's my organization, Smart Approaches to Marijuana. Thanks, Don and the gang. You guys are all great. Thank Thank you you for being here. Let's take that break. And when we come back, we've got KT McFarland, uh, Trump's deputy national security advisor, talking about big stuff going on in Africa. We have Carl Rove and we also have Roger Stone, an action packed show here on Labor Day. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Matidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Katz and Cosby. Lots of stuff happening overseas. And Libya is now a mess uh, among some of the other countries that are going on in that region. And joining us to talk about that and so much more is KT McFarland, Deputy National Security Advisor under President Trump. Uh, great to have you on, KT, and happy Labor Day. Well, it's always an honor and a pleasure. Thank you, Rita, and thank you, Cass. Yeah, we love you. We love you. What's your reaction? What's going on in Libya? Uh, it seems like it has been a mess. Um, and now it's like tribal factions going after each other. Uh, ever since, you know, obviously Gaddafi was pushed out, it seems like there's no clear leadership there. Yeah, you know, the one thing we found in the Obama administration um, is during the the period when we try to push out all the dictators, is there actually is something worse than a horrible, brutal dictator, and that's what comes afterwards, which is tribal warfare. And it's not just in Libya, it's all the west coast of Africa. It's really a lot of Africa that's now become destabilized. Now, it's destabilized, what do we care? You know, it's halfway around the world, doesn't really affect us. Well, it affects us in several ways. One, because of the um, a lot of the minerals that are essential in modern technology come from that part of the world. Oil comes from that part of the world. But what is particularly worrisome is that the Chinese are moving in. I mean, the Chinese have basically bought Africa. They've gone in country after country after country. They're thrilled with destabilized governments because what they want to do is extract the um, raw materials. Is this China or is this uh, the Wagner Group uh, to be soon named the, the, the Russian Foreign Legion? Uh, it's it's both. The Chinese are in there because they want to get the natural resources. But the people who are stirring up the fighting is, in fact, the Russian Foreign Legion, which is the Wagner Mercenary Group. Yeah, so that's and that's what's kind of happening all over, it seems like, all over that region. 
Well, all of the, in the Middle East as well as in Ukraine. They're fighting in Ukraine and then also in Africa. You know, the, the thing about the Pergozin coup and, and now assassination is that what happened was that the Russian military wasn't very good. Wasn't very good fighting in Ukraine. Wasn't really very good before that. Wasn't very good helping other countries fight abroad. So they, they uh, Vladimir Putin got this guy, Pergozin, who went into the Russian prisons, and he said to the people who were under death sentences and life sentences, he said, if you want to get out of jail, come work for me in a mercenary group. We'll send you all over the world. We'll pay you really well. And you're going to be loyal to me. And so that's what's happened. And so when you now look at the Ukraine war, where the Russian military isn't very good at all, the only effective Russian military fighting in Ukraine is the Wagner mercenary group. But then what happened is that they got a little too big for their britches. And so Vladimir Putin's thinking, this is great. I had this very effective foreign legion. I didn't have to kind of own up to it. It was independent, but really working for me. Well, now all of a sudden it wasn't working for him. And that's with the Pergozin coup attempt um, of two months ago. And I think what Vladimir Putin has done is he's flipped this to his advantage because now the Wagner mercenary group, they don't report to Pergozin anymore. Pergozin's dead. They now have been pulled in and report to the Russian military. So in a funny way, Vladimir Putin has managed to probably emerge from this coup attempt of two months ago um, in a much stronger position than he was before. KG, KG, this is Pete King. First, it was great seeing you and your daughter at the, uh, the Hampton Classic the other day. Uh, two beautiful women. It's always good. Oh, I... and, uh, also, but uh, as far as the uh, Wagner group, are they going to be able to function under Russian military control or will they be dissonance you know, within the army? Well, that's a really good question, and nobody knows. But here's their as if you're part of the um, either the senior leadership of the Russian military or the senior leadership of the Wagner mercenary group, you've just watched Prigozhin's airplane go down. So, what are your options? So, anybody who might be thinking, well, I'm not going to, um, we don't want to work for the the incor- you know the corrupt and incompetent Russian military. What are your options? And so the other thing that's been quite interesting, I think, is in, and it hasn't been much reported, is that senior leaders, sort of mid-level, high mid-level leaders um, in the Russian military have have so all of a sudden disappeared. So there's a certain amount of shakeout coming. And, and with the Kremlin, you know, you never see it in plain sight. It always is happening behind closed doors. Yeah, they, they're near a window. Afterwards. Yeah, they're near a window, Katie, right? And suddenly yeah, uh, they happen to fall out. Window. Or they yeah. shoot themselves five times in the head, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's one of the reasons that the that the North Korean president, by the way, doesn't fly airplanes, fly in planes. Um, he's taking a train to meet Putin. An, ar- an armored car, I understand. Well, an armored train. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, he's, go- he's not going to go in an airplane. He understands the, um, the liability, the potential liability. But he's going to meet with Putin and then sell... North Korean weapons to Putin, who will then use them in the Ukraine war. I mean, the Russians are running out of of ammunition, but they've got plenty of money to buy it, because as long as oil and natural gas are high, thanks to President Biden's war on American fossil fuels, Putin has plenty of windfall profits to pay for weapons. We're giving them like $800 million, $85 a barrel is like $800 million a day. Yeah, it, it's disgusting how much he, and in fact, I saw a report the other day on the sanctions, how they're just not working. I mean, it, it is, it is crazy in the middle of all this. So, so mm-hmm. the, so the, uh, the Ukrainians are succeeding somewhat with the smaller unit strategy and all that. Uh, but what are they going to need in addition in order to prevail against the Russians? Well, I don't think they do. Um, 
you know, the tragedy is we're paying for both sides of the Ukraine war. We're paying for it, as, as John Kasmatidis has very ably said, we're paying for it with high oil and natural gas prices and inflation in the United States. And we're paying for the Ukraine side because we, unlike the Europeans who promised a lot but didn't deliver much, we're the ones who are delivering the weapon system. I mean, I, to me, this and, is and a And you're missing conflict. the third part. And we're going to pay for the restoration of Ukraine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, well, that's uh, <laughs> Money's still to come. That's I mean, the trillion dollars crazy. we'll pay for to rebuild it. It is crazy. And also the drip, drip, drip too, KT. I mean, that's for another day. But I mean, we, you know, they're not even going to have some of the weaponry till a year later. Who knows? You know, we what a mess. A break. What a mess. KT, we love you. And thank <laughs> you for delivering the truth to the American people. Honor and a pleasure. Thank you thank all. You, KT, thank you, KT. Thank you. And, uh, and we also have we have Carl Rove right now. Oh, actually, yeah, Carl okay. Rove is with us. That's the lady. Yes, yep. Uh, Carl Rove, great to have you here. Of course, the former senior advisor to George W. Bush, uh, great strategist. Carl, you know there is so much going on right now. Uh, did you see this? By the way, uh, President Biden has been on vacation forty percent of the time. Uh, what do you make of that? And a lot of people are saying, uh, is that all? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, I don't begrudge presidents a chance to get away from the Oval Office, but but what I really begrudge is is getting the job done, and he's just not getting the job done, and it's uh, it's showing. There's a new Wall Street Journal poll this week. Seventy three percent of the voters surveyed said they feel Biden is too old to seek a second term, and uh, you know Donald Trump is only three years younger than he is, and forty seven percent said the same of him. But seventy three percent is a big number which means that it's significant, not just all Republicans, but a big chunk of independents and even some Democrats think he's too old. And he's not going to get better. I was listening to him earlier today. He sounds old, and he's going to – and it's he, he, that ain't going to get better. He's not going to look younger, sound younger, be younger as the election of 2024 approaches. So do you think he's going to still be the candidate, Karl Rove, to that point? Well, look, if, if, if I were a betting man, and, and I'm not really a betting man, having spent part of my childhood in, in Nevada, uh, but I, if I had to bet, I'd bet, on, I'd bet on Trump and Biden to be the nominees, but I'd take the field against him. I just think, uh, particularly in the case of Biden, uh, you know, he's, 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 he's suffering. And I, I'm thinking about writing about it this week for the Wall Street Journal because it strikes me that it's a sort of a suicide mission. It, you know, to go, go back to 1978 and 1979. People thought Jimmy Carter was just not up to the job, and Democrats worried about it. And Ted Kennedy got into the race, albeit late, and uh, Ken, uh, Carter fought him off. But does anybody think the Democrats would have been better off with with Kennedy in 1980 than they were with Carter? I think so. It might have been a closer race, and they might have held on to the White House. So, but uh, instead, they went with the failed guy who who the American people have made a decision about, and I think that's what the Democrats are facing now. And Carl Rove, uh, Ed Cox has a question for so, you. So, with those circumstances, what are the chances of a third party candidacy, and what are, would be the chances of it succeeding? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to commend you for showing up today in order to be adult supervision with Pete King. <laughs> I know he needs it. He really needs it. <laughs> you know him well. Thank you, Carl. And frankly, I'm surprised King is there. Normally, he spends Labor Day selling hot dogs. He gets his grandchildren to man the grill and uh, do the do the service, and he collects the cash. I mean, it's his. You know, sort of an annual tradition in, in Pete King's family. Carl, I really uh, resent so, you look, telling the truth about me. <laughs> I know you too well. So look, You're the man, uh, Carl. There, there will be a third party candidate. We'll have a green candidate. We'll have a libertarian candidate. We may have a no labels candidate. 
But third parties, are, are it's an uphill fight. Uh, Ross Perot got 19 percent of the vote. Nearly one out of every five Americans voted for him, and he got zero votes in the Electoral, col- in the electoral College. Last time we had uh, uh, somebody who got votes in the Electoral College, it was 1968. And before that, 1948, and in each instance, it was a Southern segregationist running on the issue of we're not going to allow racial integration in the South. And as a result, both Strom Thurmond in 48 and George Corley Wallace in 68 carried some Southern states. But other than that, the, the third parties tend to have an impact on the election only to the degree that they take votes away from somebody. Now, you know, this is, you know, in 19 and 2000, uh, George W. Bush came within 5,500 votes of winning uh, Oregon. Uh, why? Because Ralph Nader was very popular in Portland and Eugene and all the nuts and kooks came out and voted for him. So third parties will have an impact on the election and they may have a bigger impact next time around because, look, we have the two most unpopular front runners in the history of American polling. Donald Trump on the Republican side, Joe Biden on the Democratic side. There, a majority of Americans do not want either man to run. And um so, you know, we're likely to have people saying, well, I can't bring myself to vote for one of them. So I'm going to you know, throw my vote away by vote, voting for, you know, either no labels or a green or a libertarian or somebody else. Hey, Carl, this is your friend Pete King. Uh, you know, from an electoral uh, perspective, which Republican candidate made the best impression as far as going toward the nomination at the debate? Well, it's interesting. Um, I've, I've been looking at that because it's one of the topics I want to write about. If you take a look at the Washington Post poll, they polled beforehand and said, would you consider voting for? And then they list, they, they would ask about each individual candidate. And then after the debate, they asked people who, who uh, you know, wh- wh- where were they now? Every Republican candidate who appeared in the debate increased the percentage of people who said that they would consider them. Now, some instances it was small. I mean, um, uh, Ron DeSantis went from like 61% to 67%. They would consider voting for him were people who were already open to, con- to considering voting for him. But there were two that struck, struck out, uh, that, that, that stood out. Nikki Haley went from 30% of Republicans saying they would consider her to 50%. That wow. was pretty big. Yeah, that's big. That's big. And, and, and the second one was Vivek. Now, Vivek went up uh, not as much as, as Nikki. The problem with, with, with that was that the percentage of people who, who rated him negatively is now larger than the percentage of people who rated him positively. Not wow. the same for Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley was more positive hours. than negative. Yeah. yeah. That's Very interesting. Hours. Yeah, I'm looking at the polls. By the way, she uh, it's uh, Trump, DeSantis, and now Nikki Haley in the recent Wall Street Journal poll is number three as a result of her performance. Um, Carl, is, thank is you. Is DeSantis doing any better? Not according to this Pardon poll. <laughs> is DeSantis doing any better? Well, he, he you know according to in the in the post poll, there was only one candidate who dropped, and that was Donald Trump, and he fell behind the number. Ron DeSantis has a higher percentage of the electorate, the primary electorate that says they're open to voting for him than now say they're open to voting for Donald Trump. Now, it's not much. It's like 67 to 63. But Donald Trump was ahead on that measure before the debate, which says to me it was a mistake for him not to show up. I think people we ought to look at that debate not just as as one event, but as part of a process. And that process may have started with people saying, wow, I like that what I'm hearing and seeing from a variety of people on this stage. That's why the numbers improve for everybody. And I'm starting to think, really, I'm going to be looking at Nikki Haley saying, geez, I really like her. 
Uh, and this, let's see if this continues on September 27th at the Reagan Library. Hey, Carl, is anybody like me? What anybody like you? You are what we call sui generis, which is Latin for really unusual, strange, and one of a kind. Ah, that's a nice way to say it on Labor Day. Thank All you, right. Carl. Carl we we'll love catch you. Catch up again real soon. Thank you, Carl. Hello, Carl. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Wow. Uh, and joining us now, by the way, is Roger Stone. And I'm sure he's going to give us the other side yeah, of the, the debate. Absolutely. Uh, Roger, you just heard Carl saying, oh, uh, DeSantis was going up. I'm looking at a lot of polls that show he is dropping. Uh, where do you see all this going, Roger Stone? Yeah, I couldn't uh, disagree with my contemporary Carl Rove anymore, although it's somewhat immaterial when somebody has a 40-point lead. Uh, I think Donald Trump actually aced the last debate simply by not being there. By the way, Roger, I have to, I have to correct you. With on the Wall Street Journal poll, it's even more than that. Fifty nine percent is Trump. It just came out, and thirteen percent DeSantis. I mean, that that is leaps and bounds. Yeah, it is. Uh, if you take a daily average of the polls whose methodology I respect, this lead could be anywhere between fifty and and head to head seventy two. In the most uh, 72 to 13 in the most recent McLaughlin poll and the McLaughlin's have a very solid methodology. Uh, I really think Trump dominated the news cycle by not being there. It was really quite brilliant. Uh, I don't know why he would open himself up to not only a hostile format. I saw that Brett Baer interview weeks ago. Every single question would be hostile uh, and open to the pot shots of six would be rivals. Everybody, every one of whom is trying to break through. So I don't think the governor DeSantis achieved the breakthrough that he required. I candidly found his performance to be kind of canned and and very robotic. Uh, he just didn't he didn't achieve what he needed to achieve. What's interesting is that no one did. In other words, there were no one or two standouts who kind of move into the second position. If anything. Vivek Ramaswamy captured the night just by being an outsider, a non-politician, and essentially but he kept, supporting According Trump. to Carl Rove, he captured the night by going down because less people really believe in what he's saying. Uh, yeah, like I said, I, I'm not sure what polls uh, Carl's reading or what he's smoking, but I have a very different analysis of all the survey research I have looked at. Uh, I think he just he succeeds for two reasons. One, not being a politician, not being for sending more to Ukraine, a stark difference between his him and all the other candidates on the stage. And then lastly, he's very clever. He said Donald Trump was the greatest president of the 21st century. Well, that means he's compared only with Obama uh, and Bill Clinton. Pretty easy in a Republican crowd. And Cox, you've got a question for Roger Stone. Well, I've got a, Roger, you gave Donald Trump the best advice he ever gave when he was starting to run for the presidency. And that was you told him to run directly for the presidency. But he didn't believe you at the start. Tell us about that. Yeah, he. there was a brief time period in which some Republicans in western New York, I think, uh, temporarily persuaded him that he should make a bid for governor. Uh, frankly, I thought that that was beneath where he wanted to be. Uh, I also think that New York, up against a, 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 a competitor like Cuomo, who was very well funded in a state in which there is not a single conservative newspaper. I would call the New York Post a populist based newspaper more than a conservative newspaper and a uniformly hostile media 
would have been extremely uphill. Plus, the demographic shifts uh, in New York have really made it a blue state. Uh, as you know, uh, Donald Trump thought that that all the other candidates should step aside for him. It doesn't work that way. And in the end, not running for governor, running directly for the presidency turned out to be the exact right thing to do. You know, it just came out a second ago, um, Raj, that uh, President Trump is saying the reason why uh, he entered that, you know, not guilty plea. This is in the Georgia case because the arraignment is this week. Everyone thought, uh, OK, it's going to be him and, and all these co-defendants. They have the Rico case. We know the Fulton County case. Um, he said, uh, why would I fly down to Atlanta just to hear over a dozen false charges on live TV? Um, you know, that that basically he feels this is so much of like show and tell. And they also just said recently that they're planning on live streaming the whole, everything. I mean, not just the arraignment, but the trial and everything. And she's pushing uh, the Fulton County D.A. in Georgia is pushing for the case to be in October. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's right around the corner. It's September now. Yeah, I don't think it's adequate time to prepare for the case. But frankly, the case should be moved to federal court anyway. There is a previous decision in Georgia that fits the situation like a key. Trump is clearly acting in his capacity as president of the United States. So I do expect ultimately the case to be removed to federal court where you'd get, a, I think, a better chance of a finding an honest judge, a non-biased judge, and you'd have a better chance of getting a more suburban jury. But beyond that, there is now exculpatory evidence, clearly the minutes from the meeting of the electors who clearly say we are taking this action to preserve the court's legal options. We're taking this that we're gathering here as alternative electors uh, because we have filed a lawsuit. We want to preserve our rights and the rights of the court to properly designate us based on election results. Well, it's, that is it's a major, it's, major. It's going to be an interesting We're case, Raj. Time. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll get to talk to you again real soon. And thanks, Raj. God bless you. Many and uh, we're at the end of the show, the end of Labor Day. Tomorrow is the first working day of the of the fall. So, what do you think? Every day is a working day for us, and, yeah. and boy, there's so much going on. So much. So what much. do we stand for? Also, John, truth, truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way. God bless America. God bless New York City because we need the help. 